Good morning. It's good to look into your faces this morning. My wife and I, Carol and I, we are, were away this last week in Los Angeles. And as we were driving around trying to find here and there, I remember a song that was sung when I was younger, much younger. L.A. is a great big freeway. <laughs> Put a hundred down and buy a car. Yes, well... If you have a Bible, please turn, if you will, to the third chapter of Philippians. And uh, in discussing what we might cover this summer, uh, Jason, a German who you've heard the last two Sundays, was talking about the value, the gift of lament for people in this world who are followers of Christ and lovers of God. And I was given, uh, I actually volunteered for this, believe it or not, to talk about suffering. And I suppose this is not really popular in our culture, but my purpose, my goal, is to have us change our perspective. <clears throat> I read in a book when I was studying, doing co campus contacts, that in uh, just talking things over with college students, Across the country, they said, "You know, it's it's not that uh, college students don't want to suffer, but what they really don't want is they don't want to suffer for something that has no ultimate significance. If you liked suffering, you know, there'd be something wrong with you because you know, you'd be masochistic or something. But is it possible that we can learn from this passage?" something that we will look at suffering actually as a blessing and a gift and an open door. Because our culture doesn't look at it that way, I don't think. Doesn't get much promotion these days. So if you're in your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. And I will read uh, the first maybe 12, 13 verses. Before we read, uh, I would like to pray, and, and if you are able, and if you so desire, please stand for the reading of God's word. Father, we bow in your presence gladly. We've come to worship you, receive your love for us, and give back our love for you to you, our thanks, our appreciation. We also admit, Lord, our need to hear your voice, to instruct us, our desires to grow and get to know you more and be more like you. There are areas, Lord, where we need your grace and help, and we ask for it, even this morning. And we ask you, to, as we read your word, you would make it clear what you want us to focus on. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians chapter 3. Notice he starts with the word finally. This is interesting. Finally, my brothers, <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus, and put no 
confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had counted, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on take hold, to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider that I have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. This is a very compressed and compact section of Philippians, and there are probably 50 sermons in here, I suppose. I'm only wanting to select out two words. <clears throat> there are two words in uh, original language. And I want us to look specifically, if we can, at verse 10. And I want to say that the main verb that you need to highlight here the one from which the others are somewhat dependent is that I may know him. We spoke about this summer that we would concentrate on intimacy in our relationship. So here Paul is in prison, doesn't know whether he'll be executed or not. He's talking to the people in Philippi with this letter, this short letter, and he's saying, I count everything over here as loss, what he had before, that I might know Christ. <clears throat> and I kind of count it all, it's all eclipsed by the value of this. It seems to be what he's saying. And he, and he rolls it out in verse 10, that I may know him, knowing Christ. And he doesn't stop there, though. There's a little add-on parts that sort of flesh out what he means. And it says, that I may know him. 
and the power of his resurrection. And then the curious thing is, it seems to flow backward. The power of his resurrection. We would expect, this is contra expectation, we would expect the next thing to be, and all of the blessings and glories of that great victory over sin and death and hell. But that isn't where he goes. Becoming like, it says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. And then there are two words, and the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, I just want to expand a little bit on the word fellowship. You all probably know that in Greek it's koinonia. It's built on the Greek verb, that noun is built on the verb koineo, which means to share or have things in common. If you were to ask me what is the main theme that you see, Neil, in Philippians, even though there's a mentioning of rejoicing and joy a good deal in Philippians, I don't think he, the main theme is joy. If it's joy, it's sort of attached to something else. And here's what I think the main theme is. Great fellowship, teamwork, solidarity in the work of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ in a world that desperately needs to hear about Christ power of his resurrection, and so on. And it says, and may share his sufferings. Now, I want us to dwell on why this would seem like an oxymoron, sharing, fellowship with suffering. This is curious. Uh, we kind of bump into that and just say, and what's next? What's next? You know. Well, the next thing that says is being coming like him in his death. And as you know, I've been thinking about this subject here for a while, and Carol and I were sitting <clears throat> near the gate that we were supposed to be sitting near. You know, you've all done this, right? You're at a gate, and they're calling, and platinum, gold, uh, you know, you get down to aluminum and clay and old grocery bags. We get it going last usually. But anyway, I'm looking across the sort of aisle, big courier there, there's a food place. I actually think it's a fast food place, well-known, starting with M. And um, they have new devices there in front of it. And they have these big sort of touch screens, as if they're giant phones or something. And people are going, okay, I want this and this and this and this. And this. Yeah, I don't want that. No, I want this. And, and they're having a good time ordering their stuff. So. You know, next it'll be robots that bring it out. Here you are, have a nice day, you know, you know. Our culture is not user-friendly with what we find on this page right here. This would not be promoted. This would be one of those things they don't tell you about the car that you just bought or the contract you're gonna sign. <laughs> A lot of bait and switch going on. There is not bait and switch when it comes to the Lord of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? He himself said, anyone who wants to be my disciple has to do what? Huh? What does it say? Let's just turn there to Luke 9. Just to think I'm, I'm making this up. I'm not. 
In Luke 9, it says, if anyone would come after me, hands up all those who want to follow me. We all go up. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. What does a profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? Did he mean that? Hmm. I then did a study, and I got together with four other guys here on Wednesday a couple weeks ago, and I said, I want you to, let's all just commit here, let's find out all the reasons and all the purposes in the Bible that we can point to verses about how God uses adversity in our lives. Adversity, suffering, those are words that kind of are cousins in the Bible. <clears throat> and uh, my studies took me to Second um, Corinthians. I know we're here and we're just exploring what in the world does he mean by fellowship in his sufferings? Because we already know that Jesus Christ died in our place. He suffered for us. Our sufferings do not produce anything that contributes to the atonement that was necessary, that was handled by the blood of Christ. We don't add to that. He said it is finished. Is that correct? So there's some wrong-headed understandings that could, you could uh, make a mistake here. I'm just trying to protect us to say, this is what it means and this is what it doesn't mean. But may I just say, it does mean something. The fellowship of his sufferings. Well, wait a minute. It's the first thing out of the box here was the power of his resurrection. So good, that's done, he won. He's resurrected. Paul talking about something else here. Is he not? He's not saying that Christ's death was inadequate. He's saying there is a fellowship, there is a partnership, there is a solidarity with people who've decided to follow Christ and the word is suffering. You say, Neil, you're preaching it Sunday morning. You're supposed to give us some good news. I am. So I found these two lists in 2 Corinthians, and I just want to go there. This sermon's going to spill over into two Sundays, this one and the next one. And you say, you know, really it confuses me on this one. So I hope you can kind of pull this one out of the fire. Anyway, if you don't mind... First, I just want to say that if you look in Romans, <laughs> one verse, am I permitted to do that? The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And all God's people said, Amen. And if children, then heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, Amen. Provided we suffer with him in order that we also may be glorified with him. 
You're selecting on your menu, aren't you? Up <laughs> so, Second uh, Corinthians. There's two lists in here. You can meditate on this all, all week. Uh, there's all kinds of things in Second Corinthians. Just, I have no time here to tell you all about the background, but I, I feel constrained to tell you something. In 1 Corinthians, Paul was very concerned about the problems that they were having with each other in Corinth. The city was Corinth. And um, right down there at the tail end of, between Acacia and, and uh, Macedonia, which we now know as Greece, there's a little town called Corinth. It was a busy uh, metropolis city. But in 2 Corinthians, he's addressing a different set of problems. Some people have come in, and they were discrediting Paul and his traveling companions and the message and the gospel and all kinds of things, and they could beat up on Paul all they want. But when they start monkeying with the gospel, the tiger comes out of Paul, and he is trying to address the situation where he is being uh, very mis badly mistreated, misrepresented, in order that the health of the church might be maintained. Let me just read. Because we were, we're discussing, what does he mean by the fellowship of his sufferings? Right? You do want to know that, don't you? You say, we, it's not really useful to us, Neil, but it, no. In a Bible trivia thing, it might be helpful someday. So anyway, <laughs> 2 Corinthians 6. Working together with him, then... We appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in a favorable time I listened to you, in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable, the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way, so that no fault may be found with our ministry. That was the issue, a lot of fault they were finding with Paul's ministry. But as servants of God, and here's the commanding verse, we commend ourselves in every way. It's not clear whether the commendation is to others or to them or to the target audience or to God. It just says we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance, here comes your list. Are you ready? in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonment, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. Whew. Pastor Neil, when does this get good? Well, right in here. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love by truthful speech and by the and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left through honor and dishonor here he goes to a series of sort of like polar opposites through honor and dishonor through slander and praise treated as impostors yet are true as unknown and yet well-known, as dying. And behold, we live as punished and yet not killed. 
There's sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. There's poor, yet making many rich. There's having nothing, yet possessing everything. Does that help us to understand what he means by saying the fellowship of his sufferings? Some nods, some heads are nodding. Is it possible that as an itinerant evangelist, which is what Paul and his traveling companions were, we're told in the book of Acts, you know, when Ananias was sent by God, by the Lord Jesus himself to say, go and lay hands on and pray for Saul of Tarsus. He's in this house on Straight Street by, with this fellow. And uh, you're to pray for him because he, he's waiting for you to pray for him. And, and then I says, Lord, uh, I've heard a lot about this guy. He is a mean, bad customer. He is to rubble. And uh, I'm on, can I select out of this morning? Or I'm sort of, uh, what did the Lord Jesus say to Ananias? It's a two-letter word. Starts with G and ends with O. <laughs> Ananias, go. He's my chosen instrument to bear my name before the Gentiles and the people of Israel. And I will show him how he'll not have any troubles. If there's any difficulties, they'll be solved by two in the afternoon. No. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So are we surprised to find this list? Was this bait and switch on God's part? No. Right? What I noticed in the book of 2 Corinthians, you can go in there and do your own research, but he goes from plural quite a bit. Us, we, we, us. Then sometimes, you know, really I was doing this. And then he goes back to plural, back and forth. And this one is all plural. We are servants of God. We commend ourselves, right? So he's talking about his whole team. He believes in teamwork. He believes in the solidarity that is necessary uh, from the servants of God to work together in harmony and realize nobody has all the gifts. We do need each other. Amen? There's another list. You interested in the other list? Turn then a little bit later in the book, not much further. He had been discredited. Here it's in singular, not plural. He says, I, since they're picking on me and shooting at me and, and maligning my name, you're forcing me to be foolish. Notice how many times he talks about boasting and how much he says it's really foolishness. Chapter 11. Would it be all right if I read from chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians? Would that be all right? I repeat, so I'm repeating too. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool 
so that I too may boast a little. Apparently, these other people were very arrogant and boastful. What I'm saying with this boastful confidence, I say not with the Lord's authority, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. And you, and you, for you gladly put up with, bear with fools being wise yourselves. There's a lot of irony in this, by the way. For you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs or strikes you in the face. Ow! To my shame, I must say, they, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I'm speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. Far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings. Now you see his credential list is almost, the irony is he's always talk, he's talking about things that you would be ashamed of. No one would ever put this on their list. So he puts them all out there. Notice what he's doing. There it is. <laughs> I am a better one, he says. Far greater labors and far more imprisonments with countless beatings often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes plus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift in the sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst and often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I'm not weak? Who is made to fall and I'm not indignant? If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is blessed forever, knows that I'm not lying. At Damascus, where Paul's stories kind of started, at Damascus, the governor under King Aretas was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Actually, he probably puts that in there to say, I had to be lowered in a kind of a Damascus equivalent of a dumpster, you know, through a hole in the wall to get rid of this fish that stinks, you know. So they had to lower him in this, through this wall in order to, for him to save his skin. And you say, well, wait a minute, Neil, weren't you in Philippians? Uh, yeah, huh. It says here, I want to know him. I think was Paul sincere when he said, I want to know him. Yes. And the power of his resurrection. And the fellowship of his sufferings. You say, what, uh, isn't there some kind of way around this? Is it possible 
that fortitude and intimacy with Christ is not possible in the Christian life without suffering. You say, Neil, that's a very bold statement. We'd have to be kind of sick to want suffering, right? Remember what it says in Hebrews 12. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let's lay aside every weight and sin that so easily entangles and let's run with endurance the race marked up. Looking unto Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Is it possible that there's something about this adventure that is so great and so glorious that suffering is a platinum, wonderful gift from God? You want to know Christ? Here. It's a gift, it's a privilege. You know, this is borne out in, in physical ways uh, often and often. If you talk to a bunch of guys that fought through a war side by side, a band of brothers we heard about this morning, through the blood and through the loss and through the crying, these guys find a connectedness and a solidarity that they will tell you could not have happened without the suffering. We're invited into this walk, this adventure with Christ. And he'd say, you know, it's like people want to go on adventure. I want to climb, I want to climb uh, Mount McKinley or, you know, some other big mountain. But I don't like being cold and I don't like sore legs and so can you and I don't want to get hurt. And you're the outfitter, see, and you say, you know what? They, ha they have those down at Disneyland, actually. <laughs> this mountain has a mind of its own. The business of extending the reach of Christ with the gospel by our lives and by our words is accompanied by risk and danger and possibility that you also will be despised and rejected by men. And if we're cowards, we'll just keep our mouths shut. And hope that we just sort of blend into the landscape. You say, Neil, you're preaching. I'm preaching to me. When I read this stuff, you say, well, do you feel like you have the prerogative to preach about this stuff? No. Are you experienced with suffering? No. How much can you check off on those lists? None of them. I've never been in prison, I've never been beaten. I mostly got fed very well by God. But we have to say, God is the one who is control, controlling the details of our lives. And he knows more about this journey and where it goes and what might happen to us. The word I want to kind of end on here is the word fortitude. Say, wait a minute, where's that word? It's not there. I think that fortitude, God is able to create the kind of experiences that will build backbone and fortitude into his people so that they can stand up against 
the opposition of the world to Christ and the gospel. This world is not gospel friendly. Have you noticed that? We need this. We should pray with Paul. I want to know him. Do you? Yes. How much? A whole bunch, I hope. Okay. The fellowship of his suffering, becoming like him in his death. He was executed, this, this man here. So was Peter. So were the rest of the apostles. John, you know, is there on the... I know that I have no easy answers for you folks. I'm just saying this is what the Bible teaches. This is not the health and wealth gospel that you might hear on the telly, right? This is uh, straight up from here. Christ said, you want to follow me? Pick up your cross daily. Deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow me. Can we spiritualize that a little bit? I don't know. I just know that he has set a pattern for us. It was not possible to affect the redemption of mankind to work atonement for the sin of mankind without Christ experiencing that suffering. And we all say, good, good. But the world, we're told by Jesus in his prayer, John 17, Father, protect them because uh, the world's going to hate them as they hated me because they are not of the world. Are we prepared to face rejection, misunderstanding, and even worse, from our world for the sake of Christ and the gospel? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we feel, I was speaking at least for myself, Lord, that I am a coward. I don't like suffering. I need to see, Lord, from you and hear from you what is your will, realizing whatever price needs to be paid. I want to be, Lord, following you fully. We know Jim Elliot was speared to death with his friends on that beach in Ecuador. And he said, he's no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Put before us, Lord, what you have put before us that what's at stake here is the eternal destiny of human beings, men and women and boys and girls. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us willingness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.